as we do just this little introduction uh, to the book of Acts, um, I'd like us to turn to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to read a few verses together. Acts chapter 1, and Wes, can you take control of the slides, and I think the next slide's going to have the verses. Acts chapter 1, and I'm reading from the New King James Version. And I was just putting this together this morning, and I was so tempted to get into the expositional, exegetical view of this book. I just want to do a quick overview of the introduction. Acts chapter 1, verses 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said you have heard from me For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while he looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. Verse 11, Who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will soon will so come in like manner as you saw him go to heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room, which where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot and Judas, the son of James. And then verse 14, which I'd like to focus on this morning briefly. These all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And so Matt Chandler says about Acts chapter 1, as the Spirit empowered them to witness, prayer unified them to God from waiting on Christ's promises in the upper room to the coming of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the church. The apostles and the disciples were were marked by prayer. We see a prevailing theme here in the background of the book of Acts. What is that? It's prayer. 
Prayer is mentioned at least 40 times in the first half of this book. But the mention of prayer in the first church does not end there. Warren Worsby, in his Bible expositional commentary, notes, in almost every chapter in Acts, we find a reference to prayer. And the book makes it very clear that something happens where God's people pray. Harry Ironside, in his lectures on the book of Acts, states, and listen to this, this is great. When God is going to do some great thing, he moves the hearts of people to pray. He stirs them up to pray in a view of that which he's about to do so that they might be prepared for it. The disciples needed the self-examination that came through prayer and supplication so that they might be ready for the tremendous event which was about to take place. Wow, let's just stop and think about that for a minute, about God preparing his people, his apostles, his servants to do a mighty work. And I share with Pastor Moon's comments about Houston and this area. I really believe that God is doing something mighty. And what we see God doing here is so incredible. And so prayer is such, an, is such a key when we look at this incredible city. So let's go back to verse 14. These all continued with one accord in prayer and in supplication. The apostles in verse 14 gave themselves to prayer, waiting for the fulfillments of what Jesus had promised that would take place shortly in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The key word here was waiting. If we do a quick exegete, there's a definite article in the Greek, the, the, before the word prayer, suggesting that they may have been praying at the Jewish designated times of prayer. But we cannot stop there because prayer in that upper room was more than just a scheduled prayer. The Greek word prosuke sometimes has the wider meaning of worship. And it may mean that here in this passage, indicating a greater sphere of prayer, waiting in prayer, worship in song. These guys were meeting together in this upper room. They were, they were uh, making petitions together in prayer, individually and corporately, listening to God's voice, meditating on his promises and on his word. Uh, they were focusing on the promise and thinking about what Jesus had said. This was a time, and we don't know how long exactly this was, but as they pray and worship in verse 14, Luke stresses here their unity, a mark of the early Christians that Luke notably frequently asked uh, frequently noticed in Acts. Something we see in the book of Acts is this inseparable relationship between prayer and unity and the will of God. The disciples were one in their purpose to carry out the will of their Lord. I like what Edwin Orr said in his book, The Fervent Prayer. He said, um, he points to the powerful relationship of prayer and revival. In that book, he writes about the worldwide impact of the Great Awakening here in the Northeast in the United States in 1858. Uh, prayer is historically, and he points out that prayer is historically direct, it's directly related to the Spirit of God moving in specific geographical locations. As we're looking at this book of Acts, keeping this in mind, remember that 
And I like what Hudson Taylor's wife said, you know, Maria Jane. She said, in hindsight, regarding the churches that were birthed in China during her husband's ministry, she said, it is clear to see the difference between those churches that were born in the labor of prayer and those churches that were with little prayer. So it's evident to us, to any reader of Acts, that, uh, that prayer in our personal lives and corporately as a team as a church, is the key for any move of God. The great move of God and the birth of the first church begins in a small room of men praying. That's how so often a work of God begins, in a small room with a group of people waiting on the Lord. And this small room was about a Sabbath day's journey, which is about two-thirds of a mile or one kilometer from the place where Jesus ascended. And so let's bring, the con- let's bring this to context of practical application for us as a church planning team here in Houston. It is our constant thoughts about God and prayer towards God that we hear from God. God is speaking to our inner person. And I think as a Christian, prayer is one of those things that can be so easily overlooked and so easily missed because we are such a driven society. When you talk to someone... Uh, for the first time you meet them, you ask them, what is your name? And what is the, usually the second question that you're asking them? What do you do? Right? Our society is just so set on activity. And God is speaking here to the inner person. He's addressing, to, he's addressing us through our, through our thoughts in our spirit. And so to understand this, to understand the role of our spirit who is the inner man in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27, we read this, The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Intimacy with God. Before God can move in a situation, before God can move in a city, before God moves in a country or in a person's life, there is always that time where there is that compacting together in prayer prayer in our marriages, prayer with our, prayer with our families, times of prayer in our church, prayer, times of prayer as a team and in our personal life. The spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Therefore, God speaks to our thoughts. He sheds light on our lives and guides us. A Christian's thought life is a channel for communicating with God in the inner person, the inner sanctum. You and I have this inner chapel inner sanctum inside of us that God desires to dwell and commune with us there. And there we hear from God and respond to his call in our lives. This is the continual process defining what Paul meant when he told the Thessalonian church, pray without ceasing in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17. He's saying pray without ceasing. And this is what this means. It's this continual communion that was beautifully penned by the 17th century monk, Brother Lawrence. He said this, There's not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. So to sum things up in this little introduction to this book, um, and I'm just kind of speeding through this here. So to sum, you know, to sum this up, the book of Acts is a historical account of what God does through men and women that seek his mind and wait for his enabling grace and power, empowering to pour out, 
to love on people the gospel. So let's be challenged to wait and listen to hear from God in prayer, discern his will individually here on the team and corporately as a church plant. And I'm going to finish with that. This weekend we had this incredible church planting roundtable, and we had a lot of just different pastors here. Uh, we had someone from Las, we had pastors from Las Vegas, from Chicago, from we had a group from New Orleans, we had people from Massachusetts, from from Maryland, uh, and here in Houston. It was just such an incredible time. One of the things that I took away from it was prayer. Prayer, Ian e. Bounds describes describes prayer as not a work of the church, but the work of the church. It is one of the primary things. I think, and I just want to challenge you, if you're here today and you're not hearing from God, if you're not, if you don't, if you're here and maybe you're new, and if you're not hearing the voice of God, if you don't sense that intimacy with God, I want to challenge you. If you seek the Lord and say, God, like like Neil, like Neil, we heard in, in Pastor Moon's testimony where where you're in a place where you are brought to your knees in desperation, God will speak to you. Because otherwise, our life is just going to be, and our service and our ministry in, on, a church, on a church planning team is just going to be activity with no power. I like to look at prayer as drilling. And I'm going to finish with this illustration. In New England, you can see as you're driving through some of these um, highways, old highways, uh, you can see where they blasted out um, these uh, areas to build a road through these very rocky inclines in these rocky areas. And what they had to do is that they had back in the day to drill down uh, deep into the rock, very, very deep. And that drilling took a long time. It took, it took weeks sometimes. They had to drill down deep a hole about maybe an inch, an inch and a half. And when they drilled to the bottom and when they felt that they had gotten deep enough, they would drop dynamite down there. And this drilling could take, it was just incredibly, it, it, it could be, I mean, there are some of these cases they were doing this with very crude tools. And then they would drop the dynamite down there and they would light it. And when they would light it, there would be this explosion, but people wouldn't necessarily hear the explosion. It would be just a low thud. Maybe the ground would kind of move a little bit. It would be easily overlooked. But that moment, after all of these pieces of dynamite would, would explode about the same time in a certain pattern, there would be this thud, and then there'd be a few seconds, and then you could see the rock just break. This huge piece of rock just break right off the side, and then there would be this clear path. That's prayer. Prayer takes time. It takes a period of time where we are drilling and we are drilling and we are drilling. We are waiting and we are waiting and we are waiting. And we are drilling and we're just waiting on the Lord. We're saying, God, day one, day two, day 50, you know. Then Pentecost comes. I'm going to close with this. I said that three times. (laughs) I'm going to close with this. That as we drill down, don't get discouraged in prayer. Because when that dynamite goes off, it won't, be, it won't be this incredible explosion, but it'll be very deep, and that huge, unmovable rock will break. Drill deep, because if we don't drill deep, there's going to be a huge explosion, but that rock's going to still be there. 
That's what God wants us to do. God wants us, and I like what Neil says, and we've talked about this a few times. We want a church that it may not be uh, a mile wide, but I'm sorry. How do you say that? It's a church that is a, a church that is an inch wide and a mile deep than rather an inch deep and a mile wide. Amen. Let's be deep. Let's grow in prayer. And let's move forward. So thank you guys. And let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you just for this awesome team, for this group here today. We thank you for the messages that we've already heard. And we ask you, Lord, to bless us as we go. That we would drill deep, Lord. That we would discover the riches that are in Christ through the mission as we wait for that enabling grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.